0: Welcome to the Writer's Write podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and today is the first ever Writer's Write mailbag, in which I, and a guest, answer your burning questions about anything. Books, movies, basketball, writing, you name it. uh, We'll be talking about whatever it is you want to talk about, which is both terrifying and amazing. Uh, Today's guest is another one of my fellow Raptors Republic writers, the northernmost Raps fan that I know, and the most recurring guest on this fine podcast, it's Anthony Doyle. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. Yourself?
0: I'm doing good. It's uh, evidently not as cold here as it is uh, where you're living.
1: It's it's nice weather for Yellowknife. <laughs> are
0: you are you in that time of year already? I think I saw you tweet about this, where there's way more sunlight than there should be.
1: No, way, way less. It's oh, dark this less. time of year. Oh, like, okay.
0: I have it backwards. Um,
1: we're down to, I think, five hours of... Of sunlight a day
0: okay that's kind of crazy
1: so it's and it the sun doesn't really like we don't get the midday sun anymore either during the winter Mm -hmm. it just kind of comes over the horizon and sits on the horizon and so when before sunrise it's it's pitch black and immediately after sunset it's pitch black (laughs) so you also lose the lose out on the dusk and dawn yeah which is sort of hard to picture until you see it
0: yeah that's kind of wild like i always for some reason when i think about uh places like Yellowknife, my mind always immediately goes to christopher nolan's insomnia and i just start (laughs) thinking about that movie and how just like there's no sleep because the sun's always up i don't know it's weird that's what i always think about but
1: that's yeah that's the summer and it, it it is an adjustment it it's the wild swings, though. Like, all year we gain or lose, I think it's six minutes of sunlight every day. So it it swings so massively from day to day.
0: Hmm. Yeah, um, every day now if I'm, you know, I'm finishing my day job or whatever, and it's like, if it's like 4 o'clock and it's starting, starting to get dark, and I'm like, oh, man, it's getting dark so early, but that's <laughs> nothing clearly <laughs> compared to uh, what you've got.
1: I mean, I know people who who live up in the communities where they get up to 24 hours of darkness during the winter, mm-hmm. and I I honestly can't imagine what that's like, just not seeing the sun at all for weeks at a time, and I, I, I think that would drive me nuts.
0: Yeah, it'd be like working night shifts all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so today we're doing the, like I said, the first ever mailbag, which is kind of fun. I'm planning on doing these... Um, like I said, with a with a guest every time, and once a month, usually around the end of the month, um, that's when I'm going to do them, and yeah, we had um, a pretty good turnout for the first one in terms of questions, quite a few people asking questions, so um, that's exciting, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll just like get right into it, they kind of are all over the place, so there's no like real order that I have them in at all, just just the order in which they were asked, so uh, that's how we'll tackle this. Um, all right, yeah, so Joseph, I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name. It might be, like, Italian or something, but, like, Nordone? Nordone? Yeah. Yeah, one of those. But um, great guy, great follow, by the way. You should follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. Um, his question is, Final Fantasy XII uh, is sneakily well-written. What's your guy's favorite video game in terms of storytelling?
1: I have an easy answer to this one. For me, it's The Witcher 3, Ooh, hands okay. down. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a complete game and the storytelling is unbelievable. They, It's a huge game too and they did their due diligence throughout it and that's that's so hard to do and underrated in a video game is when you get a game that doesn't ever feel like you're hitting bad patches of storytelling but it has the perfect conclusion for the story. It ties everything together beautifully Um. I wish I could say I was excited about the Netflix series because of that, but honestly I'm not. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if you, if you're into storytelling in, in games, I don't think it gets better than the the Witcher three personally.
0: Has there ever been um, a TV show that was a good adaptation of a video game? Because there's pretty much no good movies that have been uh, made from video games. Um, But I'm not. I'm just not sure about TV shows because I don't think I can't think of that many that are based off of video games.
1: Yeah, I'm having a hard time even coming up with any. Um, Yeah, it's hard to do, right? Because it's a different the the difference in medium is is hard, and then like it's a different skill set to write for a video game than to write for a TV show. So you can't really have your writing staff be the same group, Mm -mm. and then translating those motivations from one medium to the other is, is hard to do, too. Plus, yeah. I, The Witcher is a game that lives in, in the gray areas, and that's been the trademark of the video game series. Nothing's painted in black or white, and, and a lot of the decisions you're forced to make as a main character, you're, they're hard because you're choosing between varying degrees of bad.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And that's, that's a really dark story to be telling. And it's a hard one to take to a TV show. And I think what I worry about moving to a TV show based on that is uh, it'll be easier to just buy into... I mean, The Witcher games have some nudity. They have some violence. They have things that appeal to the lowest common denominator viewer. And it's going to be a lot easier for the TV show to buy into those things and just go for the easy a easy appeal and, but that's not the witcher. And I think that is what worries me the most.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Like even, uh, last, was it just this past summer. They had the new tomb Raider come out. Um, it was okay. It was like a, a decent action movie. It's one of those things though, where you look at that game and that's what obviously what a lot of, um, you know, studios will be looking at it and be like, that could be an easy action movie. And then they yep. make it, and it's like, yeah, it's like a pretty easy action movie, but, like, I don't think, I've never played a Tomb Raider game, so I don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of story to Tomb Raider.
1: <laughs> I so, haven't played a, yeah, I haven't played a Tomb Raider game in a long time. I've heard the new ones are pretty good. I yeah,
0: just... well, that's the thing, like, I'm pretty, this new movie, I think, was based off of one of the newer games, so, like, the story is a little better than the one from, like, the 90s with Angelina Jolie. Um, but, uh, yeah, the action... Uh, the action was kind of weird because, like, there'd be moments where, like, they just straight up did stuff that was from the video games, and it would look yep. too video gamey, um, Not even, like, movie-like. So it's weird. You go into just sequences that like it would be like oh this is you know pleasing to the fans but at the same time it's like it this is, doesn't really work for a film medium um, so yeah it's kind of confusing
1: the the question whenever a movie or tv show is based on another medium is who are you making it for because yes. if you're making it for the the diehard fans of the source material yeah you're going to you're going to make something different than if you're making it for you know just general viewers to introduce people to the new um, material and so you know that's even when you look at stuff that's based on uh, movies and shows that are based on books you run into the same problem i mean there if you ask people about the game of thrones shows which of one I'm, million awards, whether you're talking to somebody who was a book reader before the show came out, or you're talking to somebody who that was their introduction to Game of Thrones, you're going to get a drastically different response of what you're, uh, of of how they feel about it. That applies to pretty much anything that's been adapted from another medium, because it's hard to stay true and also bring in that new audience. I mean, even the Lord of the Rings movies, there are those among Mm -hmm. people who are longtime Tolkien fans who have aspects of it that they're critical of. And I know we've gotten way off topic from the question. (laughs) Uh, You didn't answer the question though. What, in terms of storytelling, what would be your favorite video game?
0: Um, Okay. So real quick on that, I am a huge Tolkien nerd, um, which I think most people on Twitter follow me. They know that like my Twitter banner is uh, Aragorn as Strider in the, from the first uh, fellowship of the ring. Um, I love that stuff. I'm extremely concerned about the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV show that's coming out. Um, I want it to be good so badly. I love the movies and uh, the books are my favorite series of all time. Tolkien's my favorite writer of all time, and um, it's it, the adaptation thing is it, you can't. I don't. I'm, I don't think you can look at films and books and, and video games as they're they're all different mediums. So the adaptations of whatever is the original, they're going to be their own separate thing. Been a lot of discussion about that with like the Harry Potter series and stuff because those are so big, and with Fantastic Beasts coming out and things like that again. So I think I think that's important to remember is try to look at those things separately. But anyway, um, yeah, my answer to this, so I kind of have two because Ocarina of Time is my favorite game ever. Um, I love that series. I love that game. I love the world building, um, even the characters, um, just all that stuff is is. Um, was just done so well. It was, like, the first, I, I think, the first real open world game. Um, the, It's, I, it's
1: I, fantastic. Uh, as soon as you say the name, though, all I hear is, hey, listen! <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And you know what the worst part is about that? Is, like, that's one of the things that people, like, harp on now and, like, make jokes of, and rightly so. But, like... The I don't know if it's, like, a running gag with Nintendo or whatever, but, like, they've done that with every single one of those type of characters ever since. They just have, like, different little catchphrases. But there's similar things that are just, like, annoying the whole way through. And it's like, man, stop talking. I'm just trying to, like, I know what my <laughs> task is. Let me go. I will ask you if I have a question. Um, but, yeah. So there's that. And then I love the Fire Emblem series as well.
1: Yeah, I've I've played some of those games, and they are fantastic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could finish the podcast talking about nothing but Legend of Zelda and how you <laughs> appreciate the different games, but yeah. um, I'm... See, I, I'm an older gamer, so for me, Zelda is like a link to the past. and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate Ocarina of Time, but um, those original Zelda games for me are something special because it's hard to recognize what they were in the moment they were released at this point. Yeah. And it you could you could still appreciate them for the games that they are, but at, at the point that, that that game came out, it was just something entirely unique from what we see. but yeah, their storytelling is is really solid in, in those games. And Ocarina of Time is an easy game to appreciate.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it has that classic, you know, um, underdog good guy hero versus the evil villain um, struggle of power, um, fairy tale sort of uh, genre. It's so it's it's really easy to just like follow along. It has a simple story, but it's so creative and unique and immersive that you can't help but like just get lost in it. I swear I've played that game. I, I don't even know countless times.
1: Yeah, I've well, I don't have a Nintendo anymore, so I haven't played it in a while. But <laughs> uh, it's definitely one that I have some strong memories of playing it the first time. I love storytelling in games I mean I'm I also I don't know if you've played the Fallout games but I, I am a big fan of those games as well and the way they story, they tell stories and um. the one thing that Zelda did well that a lot of games struggle with is also ambient storytelling mm. not necessarily telling the stories th- through the characters as much but also using the environments and things like and and things that you interact with to tell additional parts of the story
0: yeah you really get to in a way sort of make your own story you can um, do things at your own pace yeah there's a main quest but you know you can go off and you know throw chickens around or whatever you want to do until they come and murder you Um, yeah Uh, okay so next question is uh, sort of a serious basketball not really a serious basketball question but it's a basketball question and it's from our uh, mutual friend, Matt Chance, who's also from Raptors Republic. He wants to know why you support the Celtics. So okay. I w- I'll give you the floor on this
1: one. <laughs> First of all, it needs to be said off the top. This is based on a lie.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it didn't... It, the tweet that Matt is referencing cut out some parts of the tweet that were important... And I don't support the Celtics. <laughs> However, I'm also as I'm a Raptors fan, and I'm also a general basketball fan. Yeah. And I, as a general basketball fan, I can appreciate that the Celtics are a talented team. I can appreciate that you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are talented young players, mm-hmm. and Al Horford is a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. He's great. Kyrie Irving can score in incredible ways. I can appreciate the players on the team. Yep. I'm not a Celtics fan. <laughs> I'm a Raptors fan and I'm very much enjoying, you know, their struggles and all of the jokes about that. You know, I, I love that Bill Simmons clip that's out there of him saying, uh, the Celtics are coming. They're going 67 and 15. And, <laughs> and, you know, the East needs to watch. I love all that stuff. So I'm here for that. But I also appreciate a talented team, even if it's one that I don't support. But for Matt, I still know that's a lie. (laughs) You can tweet it as many times as you want.
0: Yeah, it's fun. Um, I also love um, obviously the NBA as a whole, I am clearly also a Raptors fan, but I do love the NBA as a whole. I'm constantly fascinated by the Celtics. I was fascinated by them last year. Uh, I almost disliked myself for how much I enjoyed watching the Celtics last year. Um, they came back from so many games that they're not really coming back from this year. Um, and they obviously have a lot of issues, but it's, it, they're such a fascinating team to watch because of that, because of the amount of talent they have and the problems they're facing. Um, I I, like I'm really honestly really fascinated by the Celtics like they're I don't hate them or dislike them but getting jokes off is you know it's part of Twitter sometimes (laughs) the worst part of Twitter but it's still fun if you're doing it in like you know a cordial way
1: and they might be adding another top five pick this summer yeah that
0: would be Um,
1: I'll say this as far as their struggles I'm not completely surprised by their struggles. Gordon Hayward is coming off of a terrifying injury. Mm -hmm. Those recoveries aren't always easy. And for Tatum and Brown, last year, especially in the playoffs, those guys got to experience being the go-to guys on a playoff team. And they excelled in those roles. And then coming into this season, the Celtics asked them to dial it back a little bit. Yeah, and when you, when you're a young player and you've been able to taste that success and that you know a claim that comes with that success, saying okay, now I need to take it back a notch. That's that's a really hard adjustment to make.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things about NBA teams. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that people throw around that teams need to have an identity, and it does get thrown a lot, around a lot. But I do think it's important. Um, teams that know who they are and, more importantly, know the hierarchy of their team, um, they at least sort of have an order of attack. They sort of know how things are going to go when they walk in. The Celtics walk in, and they don't know you know, what's going to happen that night. Anybody could go off. Um, somebody who should go off maybe isn't. Maybe that throws them out of whack. Maybe they're trying to figure out um, who they want to take a shot on a certain possession. All this stuff is just, you know, because they have so much talent, it just seems to be throwing them for a loop, and Brad Stevens is clearly having difficulty trying to, I I, I think he's trying to utilize the team, um, like, almost more of an even-handed approach because of the amount, amount of talent they have, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's the right way to tackle it. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Uh-
1: I mean, I know this isn't supposed to be a serious basketball podcast, but I yeah. have a Brad Stevens take that I've thrown around once or twice on, oh, yeah. on, Give Twitter, it to me. on Twitter that people react differently to. But my take on Brad Stevens is what he's really good at and what he did really well in college and what he's done really well with the Celtics is taking players who are talented but flawed and putting them in a position that takes advantage of what they do well but also minimizes their flaws. And, yeah. and you saw that with, like... Isaiah Thomas, a guy who's never really excelled anywhere else in his career. Yeah. Stevens was able to take him and build a, a really good offense around him and also have one of the best defensive teams in the league despite him. And, you know, a lot of those players who excel at the Celtics, Aaron Baines, Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, these are guys who fit that mold. They don't do everything well. Uh-huh. But Stevens puts them in a place where the things that they don't do well aren't really affecting the team. And but what he doesn't do as well is take take these well rounded top tier talents and figure out how to optimize those guys. And I just think I'm sorry about the dog. <laughs> I I just think there's a lot of evidence building that he's not as good with that at that type of stuff. And that's not to say he can't improve, but at the moment, we—I don't know if we can say that he's as good with top talent.
0: Yeah, it's hard because we, like you're saying, we haven't seen a huge like sample size of him with a lot of top-tier talent until now, until recently. Um, and yeah, it has been a struggle in a lot of ways. Like I, I do think personally, um, I like I know Tatum's really good and. Um, if utilized properly, he can be, you know, really fantastic, and he needs to continue to grow and all that stuff. Um, But I really do think Kyrie should probably be their offensive point of attack. Um, Like we saw in the the last um, Raptors-Boston game, like, you know, when he wants to get buckets, he can get buckets whenever he wants. Um, He's their best offensive player uh, as of right now. Probably not their best overall player, but that's another discussion. Um, In terms of – so stuff like that, I just think would be a little – um, you know, making things like that clear Might be Might make things a little more um, Just easier in terms of like Building a hierarchy um, Trying to figure out who Needs to do what and to go where Instead of just being like, well, I know you can do all of these things But maybe let's start instead with these um, So yeah I, I just think Yeah, there's a lot going on there But I really think they need to sort of Hash out an identity that they they're Still struggling to find um, and I mean, it's still fairly early. Like, I, I honestly do think they're going to figure it out at some point, but.
1: Oh, I think they are too. I, I also think they love bad shots and they fall in love with yeah. the fact that they can hit them. And that's a yeah. hard thing to, to fix. I mean, you and I both cheered for DeMar DeRozan for a lot of years and he <laughs> fell into that trap from time to time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you... it's tough too, though, when you have like, like a guy like Kyrie, who's like. He can hit bad shots, especially if it's, like, one-on-one. But then there's, like, Tatum, who, like, he takes so so many tough shots, and he could be getting so many easier shots. And he's taking these tough shots that are very Kobe-like. It's hard not to look at them that way. And he's missing a lot of them because he's, like, not there yet, you know?
1: Yeah, you have to, you have to sort of put that in a bottle and say, yeah, I can get a shot. I can hit any shot on the court. And a guy like Kyrie can do that, and Tatum has shown some ability to do that. But then you also have to say, but I can get a better shot. Yeah. Or somebody else can get a better shot. The Celtics' starting lineup has five guys who can attack a mismatch Mm -hmm. with the ball in their hands. But to attack that mismatch, every guy on the court has to say, we're going to find the best mismatch to attack, instead of we're going to attack the matchup that we have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of one on one play. Um, okay, moving on. Um, we talked a lot more Celtics than I thought we were going to, but <laughs> thanks, Matt, for that. Um, Samson, Samson Folk, uh, also another one of our mutual friends, um, he asked, What is the best predictive take we've ever had and the worst one? Um, that's really tough for me because my takes are so lukewarm. <laughs> and even-handed, like, I rarely go out on a limb, um, if at all, I get, like, the one that pops into my memory for me personally was um, last summer, and this isn't, like, crazy or anything, but, like, last summer, I was, like, 90% sure, well, so before the offseason officially came, I was, like, 90% sure the Raptors were going to re-sign Fred Van Vliet, even though there were some suitors out there, um, which which didn't really end up materializing anyway. I don't know what you're doing out there, Sons and Magic, but yeah. And um, I also thought that the Raptors, if they were going to hire a new head coach and fire Dwayne Casey, I thought they were going to hire internally, and they did, and they hired Nick Nurse. So I guess those are kind of my recent good takes.
1: Boy, those are really, really good out there.
0: I know, right? I'm crazy. <laughs> That's about it. I Honestly, everything else, I'm just like, nah, I don't know. I'm going to wait and see.
1: I mean if I want to go way back, it's easy to find like players I fell in love with at the draft who didn't end up being that good I, w- I was convinced <laughs> Anthony Randolph was going to be a star I, mm. I I thought Dennis Smith jr. was going to be one of the best rookies of the league last year.
0: Oh yeah yeah I thought um, that too
1: I you know I'll say this from last season when Orlando had that hot start, I bought in. I I saw a young athletic team that did a lot of things right, and they were running teams off the floor. And I thought they could continue to be that team. And I didn't see all the health issues coming, and I think that's a large part of why they fell apart. I mean, you know, Terrence Ross, our former Raptor, mm. when he went when he went down, that was a huge loss for them last year. Yeah, but I. I really bought in, and I thought they could make a run to the playoffs. And boy, did that look terrible at the end of the season! Um, see, good takes. <laughs> I I really loved Pascal Siakam at the draft. Okay, I think that that's probably I you know it was a good take. Um, so far this season, I predicted in the playoffs that. Uh, Memphis could look like a playoff... I predict, predicted during the summer that Memphis could look like a playoff season this... playoff team this year. Okay. And that's looking pretty good right now. Yeah. Um, uh, presuming they can stay healthy. It, it, it's weird because I actually feel like I tend to remember my bad takes more than my good ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I well, a take of mine that's looking worse and worse is I thought... Um, that Utah would finish top three in the West this year. And, uh, man, that has not gone well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I liked them, too, coming into this year. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on there.
0: I don't really either. It's confusing. I need to talk to somebody that's watching every single Jazz game because, like, their team didn't change significantly. Mitchell's still kind of doing the same thing he did before. They have Gobert. It's not like he's been hurt as much as he was last year before they got on a roll, so... I don't really know what's going on. It's kind of bizarre. Is it just that, like, did Rubio's shooting fall off again or something? Like, but their defense has been so much worse. Like, I just don't get it.
1: Yeah, it's like teams have... I think the offensive revolution, the more it continues toward to trend towards three-point shooting, the more teams are able to sort of just not neutralize Gobert, but not have him be as important to the defense. Because if you take away... The paint against a team that loves three point shooting—they're just going to shoot a lot of threes. Yeah. Um, But also, like Utah quietly hasn't drafted really that well in recent years. Like Dante Exum. There's another take that I was wrong about. I thought Exum was going to be good.
0: Yeah. Well, he's a thing Um, though. He's been hurt like his whole career.
1: Yeah, but at some, at some point, you got to be healthy. That's true.
0: Yeah, if you're going to count that as, like, he's not – yeah, I'll, that's fair enough. Um, but, I mean, like, he had some moments in the playoffs last year when he was healthy.
1: Like, I, the question for Utah is, who's their best player? I mean, it's probably Rudy Gobert, but he's not an offensive focal point. Nope. Donovan Mitchell kind of hasn't figured things out.
0: No, not yet. I mean he'll give him time, I think, but uh of course, but like yeah, I mean he's not he hasn't been like you know coming into this season improving significantly upon his rookie year. It's sort of the same, and even in some ways, I think he's struggling a little bit more
1: see going back to the question about good and bad takes, I'm happy to say that I was never that high on Andrew Wiggins, so I don't have to say that that was my worst take
0: <laughs> okay
1: um, and I know we'll. I, I know there's a fair number of people who would say that that might qualify there, but, um, I, you know, there were points in the past when I fell in love with Andrea Bargnani's game. Oh that, God. Oh, that, no. that, that fabled 11 game stretch that he had that one season. Uh-huh. I, there were times I wanted him to figure it out so badly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's easy to come up with bad. T- the way I see it is, if if you have strong opinions on the NBA, you're gonna be really wrong at some point.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Damari Carroll was not gonna pan out for the Raptors when they signed him in that summer. I was really concerned about that knee uh, injury he had, and um, see,
1: yeah. See, and a lot of people would call that a good take. I kind of I don't think it was on him that he didn't work out for the Raptors.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. That's partly true as well, yeah. Um, but I do think that injury was definitely, like, lingering as well. He didn't, he never looked entirely healthy. Like, there'd be, like, points where he did, but, like, there was there were so many stretches where I was like, this isn't the guy that I watched the same. And, yeah, he wasn't being utilized the same either, but, yeah. But,
1: but I also remember and I can't remember whether it was his first or second year with the Raptors, he had an early season injury. He came back from the injury mm-hmm. and then played a stretch of like five games where he played like 35 minutes a night right away. Yeah, And then he got hurt again. Yeah, And I remember being really mad at the Raptors because it's like the guy's just coming off an injury that he's been dealing with for a while. You don't take a guy like that and immediately play him every minute you can.
0: No, exactly. Yeah. Um, quick pat on our back, uh, for an obvious take that I guess some people didn't think was obvious. But you and I talked up Luka Doncic all summer, and what a shock—he's really freaking good.
1: <laughs> and we were both Jaron Jackson fans.
0: Yeah, Jaron Jackson was obviously good. He was like a defensive stalwart, to say the least. Like I don't understand what people weren't seeing in him. I I, I don't know. I don't keep close tabs on college ball, but like when it came to like. By the time it got to summer league, I was like, Yeah, this guy's gonna be really good. He has a lot of potential. I
1: mean I didn't ever really understand the Doncic concern. This is a guy who like he played two years where he was playing basketball pretty much every month, and he was dominant at every level, not just in EuroLeague. Eurobasket he went into and he helped them win Eurobasket against a lot of NBA talent. And like him and Goran Dragic were the best backcourt at EuroBasket. He was phenomenal at that tournament. Yeah, yeah. We ha- we had tape of him playing against NBA players that said this guy is good.
0: Yeah, as a teenager, like I don't know, man. He's like I don't. I just don't know how someone could watch him like his pre-NBA highlights and, and just game in general and be like, yeah, there's not that much there. Like it's all the takes about his athleticism being a problem. I mean, come on. It,
1: we, we talk about athleticism badly. And this is one of my pet peeves with the NBA. And uh, I'm going to try to avoid going on too long of a rant here, but <laughs> we, we limit athleticism to simply jumping ability and running speed. Yep, and there's a lot of other things that are athletic. Like we we talk about Steph as not being an athletic he's player.
0: Super athletic,
1: but like his ability to stop on a dime yep. and then shoot. Yep, and get it off against guys who're way bigger than him mm-hmm. in a fraction of a second. That's incredible athleticism. That's almost nobody can do what that what he does. Yeah,
0: yeah. there's a reason he's the best shooter ever? Like,
1: so. Doncic isn't the, he isn't the, you know, he can't jump the highest. He can't run the fastest, but he's got a different type of athleticism to his game Mm -hmm. where he, he can create space in crafty ways. Yep. He's got,
0: he's got a lot of herky jerk to his game.
1: And being six, eight and being able to create with the ball in your hands like that also is a pretty big advantage.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's really
1: good. And then the shooting, I mean, I didn't even think he'd be shooting this well.
0: Yeah, nearly 40% from three. Dude's on fire. Um,
1: so.
0: Yeah, no, he's great. Um, I'm just reading these, by the, by the way, by the, like, title of the people who tweet me, like, their name, their handle on Twitter. So, like, if I don't know your real name, then, like, I can't call you that. So, <laughs> next question's from Will and the Lights. Um, That's...
1: That's Will Buckingham. He's a friend of mine.
0: Ah, okay. So he knows. Because this question is directed at you. Um, Since you're a father and a Raptors fan, are you contractually obligated to buy the New Balance Kawhi shoe, no matter the look or the price?
1: I'm excited about the new Kawhi shoe. I love that he signed with New Balance. I feel like that's perfect for him. (laughs) Uh, I will buy – you know what? I'll buy a pair of Kawhi New Balance shoes. Wow. I'm a. Are you a
0: sneakerhead? No. (laughs) Okay, me neither. No,
1: no, I'm I'm really not. But (laughs) I'm a white guy. I'm a dad. I'm a Raptors (laughs) fan. Like, Kawhi New Balance shoes are perfect.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they won't be too flashy, but they'll get the job done.
1: Um, it. Everybody, people on Twitter were laughing at him for going from Jordan to New Balance, but like, wasn't this exactly who Kawhi has been his whole career
0: yeah I think this makes perfect sense plus he's like the face of New Balance now he yeah you not have to share it with all the other guys from Jordan brand
1: and that's kind of what he said he wants right he, yeah. he wants his own thing and that's what he's building and I, I love Kawhi's personality and so many people laugh about it but like He's shown some emotion this year, He, but it's his own way of doing it. And that's what I think we're learning more and more as Raptors fans about Kawhi. is like, he's just not the type of superstar we've known before. And because of that, we think it's something funny, but it, instead it's just sort of, he's not, he's a different type of guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he is. And, um... I don't know. I'm happy for him. It's one of the things he wanted and he got it. I think it's, I think it's good news for Raptors fans. Cause I think like, you know, th- again, this is one of the things he wanted. He's got a multi-year shoe deal. He's going to be the face of it now. I mean, things are going for him really well in Toronto so far.
1: And Hey, it's not LeBron's shoe brand. So, you know, it's, it, if, if he had signed <laughs> a deal with Nike right away and, you know, yeah. he had, he had shown up at, Big shoe events with LeBron, it would have just fed the "he's going to the Lakers" fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so again, this is like a Thanksgiving-related name, but it's funny. Gobbler Mellow asked, uh, "Who's your favorite superhero and why?" Pretty classic question. So, what do you got?
1: I was a see, I was a comic book nerd as a kid. Yep, and I also watched a lot of like comic book-related TV and movies. I love the MCU. And I'll kind of start here. I'm not a DC guy. I, I wasn't as a comic book kid. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate certain runs of like Batman comics. The Killing Joke was a fantastic run. Yeah. Um, and I can re- appreciate those things. But Batman never really appealed to me. And, I, and I'll, I'll get to my answer to the question, but I, I just kind of wanted to like say, I always felt that with the difference between DC and Marvel superheroes is DC writes superheroes that are trying to be human. Yep. And Marvel writes humans that are trying to be superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I always related more to the Marvel heroes because of that. Like, I mean, it's a cliche answer, but I love Peter Parker.
0: Yeah. That's my answer too.
1: Um, and I, as a comic book character, He he's just he's such an incredible character because he encapsulates a lot of humanity into who he is, Um, and I never really felt like the movies got it right until Tom Holland. Yeah, I could I could appreciate the earlier versions. Mm -hmm. You know, the Tobey Maguire movies are entertaining up until number three. (laughs) The, The Andrew Garfield. His first one was good. His second one was, uh, we won't go into that.
0: It is not good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but Tom Holland was the first one who sort of na- nailed the part of Spider-Man that spoke to me, yeah. which was this kid who's who's struggling with the pressure of being a superstar, or, or being a superhero, being this big name who can do all these incredible things, but also trying to, be a kid at the same time. And I feel like it's that aspect of he's still a kid that was missing in the previous iterations.
0: Yeah. I always thought that was kind of weird. Like they hopped, they would start where he's like either just finishing high school or, or, or the storyline would be like, you know, he's about to go with Andrew Garfield. Like he's about to go away to college or wherever, um, which I always thought was weird. They definitely are looked like, you know, Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire they don't look like college or high school students. I mean, in those movies, um, it's hard to believe believe them that way. But Spider-Man, as a hero in general, he's extremely relatable. He's got cool powers. His rogues gallery is awesome. Um, I really enjoy the movies. I love Spider-Man 2. I think that movie is fantastic. Um, the video game Spider-Man 2 for GameCube, one of my favorite games of all time. Love that game.
1: The, um, the new Spider-Man for, play, for PlayStation is also fantastic, I'll say. Yeah, I, um, ha-
0: I haven't got that yet, but I still want to get it.
1: But, I mean... And then, when you start going into all the... Like you said with Soros, when you start going into all the other characters that are encapsulated in the Spider-Man universe, I mean, Miles Morales is such a fantastic character, too, and I hope we eventually get to him in the MCU.
0: Yeah, well, Uh, apparently Into the Spider-Verse is fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about that one, too. And, I mean... I love a lot of Marvel superheroes. Um, The... Daredevil has some incredible stuff out there in his comic book universe. And I I know a lot of people started getting into Daredevil because of the Netflix show, which has been fantastic. Season three was amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. It was.
1: Um, But also I would encourage those people to go look for the Born Again run in the comics and read it. Because to me as a comic book reader, season three of Daredevil was a love letter to Born Again. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily completely true to the story. There were some things they changed. Um, you know definitely Karen Page's arc is very different, and there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But it it hits on the same marks and for me, like comic book heroes is hard to say because I more associate with comic book runs than comic book heroes. Okay, yeah. Because we're at the point where most of these heroes have existed for a minimum of forty, fifty years. Yeah, which means every hero's had some terrible runs. Yeah, I mean, Captain America, Steve Rogers, is a character that has had some incredible moments in the comic books. There's also some stuff in <laughs> that you know we don't want to revisit.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's some questionable things in Captain America's history. Um, but yeah, I mean. So it's same sort of way for me like I I really love graphic novels like the self-contained stories um like I love Kingdom Come. I um it's yes. one of my favorite graphic novels in the DC universe. It's like an elseworld story. I love that. I love Watchmen. Um I love the, you know, Batman Year 1, uh The Dark Knight Returns. So those are classics. Um Stuff like that, I, I just those – are, those are how I like to consume um, comics, so that's kind of how I get into it. So for me, again, yeah, that's like my favorite thing about comics is able to get those like those longer self-contained stories. But um, So more than the characters, those are what stick out to me. But yeah, if I had to pick one, it was, still would be Spider-Man. So.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. I was critical about DC when I started to answer the question, but their dark runs of characters – have been really good at times. Mm-hmm. Some of their darker Superman stuff has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, they write anti heroes really well. Um, the uh, like the other characters, like there are characters that people know from the movies that I don't feel like they know the comic book versions. Mm. Like, I love the two Deadpool movies. Mm -hmm. I still don't think they quite got Deadpool from the comics, right? Because I still don't think they got the complexity of comic Deadpool. Yeah, completely. He's, he's an incredibly compassionate character in the comics in certain moments too. Mm Yeah. And that's, that's hard to capture with all the absurdity of him being aware of the fourth wall. And, you know, he's hilarious. He, he uses his powers in hilarious ways, but you know he's had some of the most emotional moments in recent comic book runs, and I and, and that's hard to convey into the movies. So I'll say this: the other reason I'm a little down on DC right now is their television shows are terrible.
0: Oh my god! I I saw the trailer for Titans, and I, I just can't, man. I can't even watch it. Like I, I, I can't mean, try.
1: The only reason I even watch Arrow anymore is to hate watch it. <laughs> Um, Legend, Legends of Tomorrow is the one DC show that I still really like, and that's because it has embraced being absurd as a time travel show. Mm. And I, I genuinely enjoy that show, but like, on Arrow, a couple of seasons ago, they wirelessly stole a computer processor. Uh Uh-huh. They, have, they jumped the shark so heavily that it's just, it's hard to enjoy it anymore. And it, it's gotten to the point where it's, the, it, it's hard to appreciate those characters without that if you've seen the shows. And yeah. then the movie universe, I hope they figure it out. Uh, I hear Aquaman's going to be really good. Yeah,
0: I heard that too. It was just nice. Um, they need at least another good movie. Um, but yeah. Uh, okay, so next up, Sean Woodley, friend of the show. Um, love Sean, Uh, he asked us, what sports recreation, or what sports movies recreations of sports actually being played are the best and worst? So basically, what scene in a movie that's showing sports is actually like the most realistic? So what's the best version of that and the worst version of that? Um, So like you mentioned initially when this question was asked on Twitter, it's very hard to find good Uh, sports scenes that are like realistic in movies Um, the best few I could come up with is like I really like Creed um, and the fights in that movie kind of feel like pay-per-view in some ways yeah there's like obviously um, amplified punches and slow-mo and all this stuff but like uh, for the most part it does really feel like the third act does feel like a pay-per-view kind of fight and then there's some good some decent basketball scenes and white men can't jump Um, I honestly, um, I watched uncle drew not super long ago, bad movie, bad movie, but, uh, the basketball scenes aren't, aren't too bad because like all the, like all the actors are actually like NBA players or former NBA players. So like they can at least shoot the basketball.
1: So I'll I'll take your word for that one. Yeah. I struggled with this question. (laughs) Um, I'll agree with you on creed. Okay. I, although I think boxing's kind of cheating because you know, it's <laughs> at its heart, it's basically fighting, and movies have all, always been pretty good at showing that. Yeah. Um, individual sports are usually better than team sports. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's a lot of movies that show a little bit of golf, and it's it's golf.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> the know, best sporting scene in Space Jam is actually the golf scene.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. The the basketball episode of The Wire is actually not bad because it's oh. sort of just real basketball.
0: Okay. I have not street seen ba-
1: that. Street basketball. I mean, it's only in there for like 30 seconds of mixed cuts. Mm-hmm. But it's, it looks like guys playing basketball on a street court. Um, for worse, though...
0: Yeah, what do you got for worst? Because I got a good one.
1: Anything that shows high school football. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I started thinking about this. I was like, every football movie ever fits worst, right? Because it's just never anything close to real football. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even... <sighs> Even the football stuff that we love, like you know, remember the Titans and Friday Night Lights. they're the bas the football, the actual football in those th- movies and shows looks terrible. Yeah. Um, but a single worst, I don't know. Maybe the basketball in Space Jam. It might be the worst. Wow,
0: going right it's, to it, eh?
1: It's terrible. Like <laughs> I, I appreciate Space. Space Jam for what it was as a movie. And it spoke Uh to me as a kid. Yeah. But the basketball in it is awful.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. Um, Okay, so for me, the worst by far is Catwoman. Um, (laughs) Holy crap, what a trash scene. What a trash movie. But good God, what a desecration to the sport of basketball that scene is.
1: See, I didn't even think of that one because I don't even think of that as basketball. Oh,
0: my God. It's it's really not. Like, there's so much. Like, she gets the ball, and the first thing, like, she does is just jumps off the wall for no reason. And it's like, first of all, that's a travel. Second of all, like, what are you doing? Are you just doing that to, like, did you just show everybody your Catwoman? Like, you just showed a bunch. She's out there in civilian clothes, and she showed a bunch of kids and, like, this guy that she's with. that She's basically Catwoman. Um yeah, it's it's really weird. It's shot like terrifyingly. Like there's um just all these weird I, angles that are like directed up at her face while she's dribbling, like as if she's dribbling on the camera. There's a really cringy shot where it's just like her butt bouncing for like a couple minutes. Like it, ugh. what
1: I what I need is I need a director's commentary of that scene <laughs> so the director can explain what they were trying to do with that scene.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. There's like what, I I. I I have no idea how to, like, explain it. There's even, like, a weird Space Jam-style zoom at the basket right before she uh, thrunks the basketball. She didn't even dunk it. She thrunks it. Um, And then she falls right on top of the guy she's with and that classic, like, oh, like, look, we're on top of each other now. Like, it's so bad.
1: Yeah, I I can't beat that one.
0: It's it's trash, man. I watched it this morning. Um, I rewatched it like a few times, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is even worse than I remember." Um, see, yeah. see
1: the the one I was thinking for worst was uh, for a specific scene. I I used to watch the show Smallville.
0: Yeah, I remember Smallville.
1: And there's an episode of Smallville. Um, I, I can't even. It's a classic Superman villain, though. It's um I can't, I can't think of his name, but the guy who can, can who can control people on large scales, Brilliant. and he's was it Brainiac controlling the outcome of a football game. Okay, and the 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 way the football is being played in that episode, like everything is wrong. <laughs> There's no defensive coverages whatsoever. There's no like. I, I, from what I remember, I'm not even sure that they hike the ball correctly. Like it's just, it would be hard to come up with worse high school football. And it felt like it was written by somebody who's never actually watched a football game.
0: Yeah, probably was. That's, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's Look, been years since I've seen Smallville.
1: But yeah, I, I mean, it's never good. Sports, <laughs> it's never good. No. I mean, even the hilarious scene in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air that is on Twitter all the time, yeah. what was the size of that court that they were playing on? <laughs> like the entire court is like what thirty feet long, yeah. how did they where how did they find that gym that they played in? <laughs>
0: it, yeah, I don't know um yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so, uh conclusion there are no good really sports scenes in movies um okay moving on quickly um we've got two questions left so got to go through these fairly quickly but okay so first one is mount rushmore video game heroes uh this is from nathan wallace his is uh link cloud sora and solid snake Um, My own personally highly subjective list um, because I have not played many video games that people love. Uh, Mine is uh, Link I got to have on there. I have Red from Pokemon because like that dude's a baller. And in the sequel games, he's just standing on top of a mountain waiting for this guy to come battle him. Like (laughs) that guy's awesome, man. Um, I got Ezio Editore from Assassin's Creed and Sonic the Hedgehog because that was my life as a kid.
1: That's a, that's a good list. Yeah. Um, I feel like Link has to be on there.
0: Yeah, he's got to be on there.
1: Um, this is a cheesy answer, but I'm going to go with Mario. I, I, oh, yeah. I was a Nintendo gamer as a kid. Like I'm old. I remember playing on the original Nintendo when it came out. Mario played a big role in my formative years as a gamer. Geralt of Rivia of The Witcher has to be on there for me. Okay. Um, those games are incredible. And I, I really struggled with a fourth. Um, like, I think. See, I, I, I've been thinking about this since last night. I'm still struggling with a, with a fourth for me. Yeah. Um. It's hard to think of a fourth character that's that's on that level. That's an individual character. Uh. Like cloud was cloud is a great character and I might have to put him on there because I like Final Fantasy VII, but I'm not happy about that answer. So I'll probably go with it just because so we can move on with the podcast. But I have a hard time putting another character along with those three in terms of who's been important to me as a gamer.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a tough list. Like I, I, I thought it'd be easier than it was, and it it really wasn't. Um,
1: um yeah, it's it's hard. Like I. Because and especially since a lot of video games nowadays don't have a true protagonist, they have a yeah. you create the protagonist.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, um, yeah. There's just so many games like that that are, yeah, they make it hard. Um, so I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think I think those are pretty good lists. They're pretty classic lists. So I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of those characters. Um, but yeah okay so uh
1: it's it's possible that after um last of us 2 comes out oh yeah that ellie from last of us will be my fourth character because i loved last of us and i'm excited about last of us Two. yeah but but we'll see
0: <laughs> yeah that's a good choice too um i haven't played those games but i've like i've seen footage and like i have watched some um gameplay of it so it looks like it looks fun um Okay, a last question is uh, kind of a fun one that I don't really know exactly how to answer this, but it's from Ethan who says, uh, who's better, John Wall or Kyle Lowry with one arm?
1: I mean, it has to be John Wall, right? Because like <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Lowry with, with one arm, you have to assume he can't shoot anymore.
0: Well, here's the thing. So I was thinking about this. He could still put up floaters. And, I mean, I kind of trust Kyle Lowry with one arm in the pick and roll.
1: I, I just feel like that's too much of a physical limitation.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty tough. He can't be shooting pull-up threes the same. I'll, I'll give him that.
1: Are, are we accounting for contracts, too, here? Because, like, yeah. Kyle Lowry's a, a free agent next summer. John Wall, you're going to have to pay him $50 million, like, four years from now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have that written so, down, too. He, he, Kyle Lowry with one arm still does not have that terrible contract.
1: So Kyle with one arm, you, if, if he's terrible, you just clear up that cap space this summer. Yeah. I, I I could baby talk myself into this.
0: Yeah, and like, and you could probably, like, yeah, I mean, like, if you really had to, you could probably, uh, even if he had one arm, you could probably still move him to a team like Phoenix.
1: Do I still get Kyle Lowry's backups in this equation, too? Do I get Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright? Yeah, I think so. 'Cause if if I get that too, then I then I'm definitely going with Kyle Lowry. Yeah. I, especially when you start looking at what Washington has on the rest of their roster. <laughs> I, I love Thomas Sadaransky, but you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, same. Um <laughs> That's I think that's that's what I gotta go to. So I don't know. I I I looked at it and the more I thought about it, like the more I I kinda lean Kyle Lowry with one arm. Yeah. Sorry, John Wall, but yikes
1: we could do a whole pod at some point about the problems with the Washington Wizards. Oh my god, so many problems. Um, I just hope somebody saves Otto Porter from that franchise. <laughs> it's
0: it's going to be they're, they're like the, that's going to be tough, man. That whole like the whole scenario of them like they want a star obviously, that's like not going to happen and if they're if they want to move somebody, it's got to be Beal or Porter and like they don't want to move Beal clearly and so, like, they, and then they're kind of left with Porter, and there's only certain teams that'll want that contract, and yeah, it's, it's like a whole
1: mess. They, they should. I saw this on Twitter the other day. If somebody, if the Minnesota Timberwolves wa- offered Andrew Wiggins straight up for John Wall, who would say no?
0: Uh, wow. It's, it's kind of crazy that I didn't immediately answer there.
1: Be- both contracts are terrible.
0: Yeah, they are terrible.
1: <laughs> and the last year of Andrew Wiggins' contract is seventeen million dollars less than the last year of John Wall's contract.
0: That's insane. John Wall's contract is bananas. And and,
1: and like and he has a fifteen percent trade kicker.
0: That's the most. That's the craziest part. Like once you say that, like then it just becomes laughable. The idea of trading him even before the trade kicker is like oh, okay, good luck. And then you talk about the trade kicker, and it's like ah uh, no. No. Um.
1: But on Otto Porter, I'll say this: is a lot of people say that Otto Porter's overrated. You know, he's not as good as his advanced stats say. And the people who said that are the same people who said the same thing about Robert Covington, yeah. who has now turned Minnesota into the best defense in the NBA.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Like three and D guys are really good and yeah. they're valuable.
0: Yeah, there aren't there aren't a, like a lot of them that are really that good. So. Yeah. Some
1: some team is going to get Otto Porter either this year or next summer or something. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to laugh at them for taking that contract on. And then he's going to turn into the player that makes a team a contender.
0: Yeah. There's a, Hey, there's another take that you can, when, if that happens, you can uh, come back and say, Hey, there it is. And it's even, <laughs> it's even recorded on a podcast for you.
1: <laughs> this was fun though.
0: Yeah, it was good. Um, I enjoyed doing the mailbag. Uh, I'll have to definitely do more in the future. Um, uh, you're like I, think, I said at the beginning. You're the most recurring guest on this podcast, so I, we know that you're going to come back on here. So, um, is there anything you want to plug
1: before we uh before we let you go? Not really. It's been a quiet month for me writing wise. I'm I am working on some stuff. I don't have anything coming out immediately. Um, I definitely want to go into a little bit more on this Raptors team and their success and. The debate over whether it's real or false, or and things like that, because I I have a lot of thoughts about that, and I it's a complicated question what to believe with this with their eighteen and four start, which is an incredible record. Um, but I don't have anything coming out in, in, imminently that I can plug right now, unfortunately.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you know. Whenever it comes out, um, people will see it and read it. Um, they should because. Uh, your stuff is always good, and of course, that's on Raptors Republic, same place you can find my stuff, along with um ball Breakdown and Scene Creek. Um,
1: you you can... had a fantastic Pascal Siakam piece today.
0: Yeah, that just that just dropped like right before we started recording, so I have no idea if or how well it's being received, but I finally got a chance to do some writing, so I, I dropped something on Pascal Siakam, which was fun, just on how crazy efficient he's been this season, but yeah um that's all for this podcast and thank you for the compliment by the way and uh we will see you next time thanks for listening